In old Valyria, where the dragons dwell, the fires and the mountains burn bright. War and conquest and unending expansion have built the greatest empire the world has ever known. And all through the secret knowledge of the dragon lords. And of course, sorcery. How can an empire such as this ever falter? How can its power ever be checked? And even if such a mighty people as the Valyrians were to be somehow wiped off the face of this world, will their influence ever disappear? At least we maesters can rest easy knowing that the Valyrians never cared to come this far west. If they ever do, all may be lost. This is a watch party of Ice and Fire. We are your hosts, Solar. Valar Morgulis. Constance. Ours is the Fury. Morgan. Hi, I'm Normal. Uzma, who's not with us today. And myself, Sam. In this podcast, we'll be talking everything and anything World of Ice and Fire. In this episode, we are going with a little history lesson on the Valyrians and Targaryens. Today, we'll be talking about Old Valyria, the Doom of Valyria, and Aegon's Conquest. Be sure to listen and pay close attention as you can elevate your maester's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. To kick us off, Constance is going to start with Old Valyria. To Constance. Thank you. Situated on a peninsula in what's called the Slaver's Bay, the city-state of Freehold, the land of Valyria, was born. It was sheltered in a ring of volcanic mountains known as the Fourteen Flames, much as the Seven Hills of Rome. And if you're to look at a map of Westeros in the continent of Essos on which Valyria lies, it's situated in a region very similar to where Greece or Italy would be, and about the same size and shape. So it's a very analogous uh, setting in this world. The Valerians were the dragon lords, the only ones who could tame and ride them. But dragons themselves were found throughout all the known lands. It was said in Septon Sparth's book, his The Unnatural History, there are several legends about where the dragons come from. First, the Carthy stated there was a second moon which cracked like an egg and from it came forth dragons. I think the story was one that was told to Daenerys herself in one of the episodes. I seem to remember this one. But the Ashai people... It is known. It is known. Exactly. That's why I remembered it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The second legend comes from the Ashai people, who, in the oldest of stories, say that there was a group that was so ancient they had no name. They tamed dragons in the mysterious lands known as the Shadow, where all dark and evil things dwell. It was they who brought the dragon rider secret to Valeria. But the Valerians themselves claimed that the dragons sprang forth from the Fourteen Flames and that they were descended from those dragons and kin to the ones that they rode. And this is where the term blood of the dragon comes from, and which can possibly explain that they're less affected by fire, which is how Daenerys was able to go into the bonfire of Keldrogo and hatch the three eggs as we saw in the Game of Thrones series. Now, the Valerians, and here I quote from the World of Ice and Fire, had hair of palest silver or gold and eyes in shades of purple not found amongst any other peoples in the world. Now, some say this is due to their dragon heritage, which is what they say, but others, especially the Maesters and the Septons, say that it was because of the inbreeding. Now, I want you to make a note. 
This talks about their hair and their eyes. There is no mention of skin color. So if you're saying that it's not consistent with the lore to have a black Valerian family, you're not reading the lore and you're full of shit. End of discussion. They had hundreds of gods and religions, and many of the dragons were actually named after these gods. Gods like Valerian, Laraxes, Vagar, and Cyrax. They had magicians called pyromancers who controlled the flames of the 14 volcanoes. Magic was the rule of the day. They could use it for architecture. They used it for smithing. They used it for clothing, for art. And they used it to create candles made of dragon glass, what we call obsidian, for beams and speak to each other from half a world apart and use it for scrying. Um, and they could use that magic to create places such as the Dragonstone Fortress in Westeros. And as we talked about in an earlier episode, some think they may have even created Old Town based off that magic. Although we didn't, our, our general consensus was that Old Town was not created through their magic because of the lack of detail and, and ornateness. But that's another podcast. Go ahead and listen to that one if you want more details about Old Town. Um, now, the Valerians called themselves the Freehold because any landowner could have a say in their government. Uh, the Archons were elected by the Lords to help guide them, but only for a limited time. So it was a republic with a government sort of unknown to any other in the realms. The other power at this time was the oligarchy of Gis, which lay across the nearby bay. Now, Gliss's powers came from slaveholding. So the Freehold and Old Gis had five wars that were recorded, the last of which resulted with the city of Gis being razed to the ground, the earth salted, the bricks melted, and the Valerians took the Giscari people and the slaves and took them all in as their own. Uh, the slaves were often put to work in the mountain mines of the 14 Flames. They mined copper, tin, gold, and silver, and iron for Valerian steel. That's an entire topic unto itself is the magic of Valerian steel, so I won't go into that. Uh, and they started going out and founding more cities and finding more trade partners. And um, many of the dragon lords would take control of these cities with an archon that was sent as a, as a governor. Or the cities would basically buy themselves out as free lords and become part of the freehold through that method. Uh, Bravos was actually a former slave, former slave city, which was founded after the slaves revolted and they took themselves to a secret location and made themselves the free the truly freehold that bravos remains to the modern day within westeros uh, the valerians with their expansion actually drove the andals and the roin across the sea the andals went into the vale where they first landed and brought the faith of the seven-pointed star and the roin went to dorn nymeria and her thousand ships and they brought with them their egalitarian views of men and women and in politics and warriorhood, which remains to this day in Dorne. Uh, they weren't the only ones that they didn't set. They weren't alone in settling Westeros, though. The Valerians did go across the sea and created the great citadel of Dragonstone, which became the seat of House Targaryen, using magic and dragon fire to melt stone into very ornate rock formations. So that is a briefing on Old Valaria. What do the rest of you guys think about that and what we've been discussing? I want to go first because I have a thought. All right. All right. I just have to say, I don't know this history. I don't go this far back in, in my lore. So listening uh, to Constance go over it, Gis is Carthage. 
right? The city of Rome and the city of Carthage had so many battles, wars, uh, and later on, when Carthage was finally defeated by Rome, they salted the earth and completely destroyed the city and left it completely gone. The Carthaginian comparison is really good. Uh, yeah, yeah, it'll guess. I was saying we were so close, so close to having a cool historical wrap up. We destroy the slavers. We burn their stuff to the ground. We salt the earth. We do a little river dance over the mound of ash and broken. And then we take the slaves and do it all over again. I'm like, her. Yeah. why does history work yeah. in so many cycles? Yeah. That is like the, the one major drawback to old Valeria is the fact that they relied very heavily on, on slavery to fuel them and their, and their expansionistic ways. I'll forgive it because they gave us bravos. Yeah, they they are directly responsible for the rise of bravos. I thought you'd like that fact. Oh uh, yeah, I I kind of I like the the old Valyrian stories of like the free cities. Like some of them had like their own their own uh um like characteristics. Like I think uh was it Valantis was kind of a like a uh, vacation spot for most of them. I think at one point where like it was where you could go to like hang out on the beach, have a cocktail. Maybe check out a pleasure barge or two. Check out like those massive walls that they created. I don't know. It's, it's like I think it's cool that like all these different cities. They were basically like, so this city we're gonna hang out in. This one is where we're gonna do our business. This one here and there. So I thought that was pretty cool. It is like kind of awful to be to think of the Valyrians and how great they were, and then you're like, yeah, but slavery. So it's like, yeah, you guys were cool, but also fuck you guys at the same time. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, although big props to George Martin for not going into the model of slavery they used because we don't know that it was chattel. We just know that they, uh, you know, they they had slavery. Yeah, it might, it might have been more along the lines of what the Vikings did where they captured people in war, used them for a while, let them earn their way out, what have you. It was a little different. I'm not sure it's good, but it was different. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they don't go they don't go into great detail about what kind of, of slave structure it was, only that they had slaves. Yeah. But um the technology and the magic though, that that is very mm. interesting mm -hmm. in the sense of um like yeah, um we we got our major power thing going and now boom, this is where we're at. This is this is essentially why we run the world. Yeah. Dragons high quality steel and a lot of money i would love to see like a like a look of like the because i guess they they talk about like the technology especially of valyria but i feel like we don't know exactly what the technology was so like i, I i'm wondering if maybe eventually we'll get a look at like what the it's, extent of that technology was it's atlantis it's it's all magic mm -hmm. in the end it, it that's tech <laughs> Now that that yeah, would be a good series, you know, HBO. If you're listening, <laughs> Old Valeria, make it happen. Yeah, make it happen. I mean, they had flying cars. We just call them dragons, so that's kind of <laughs> yeah. Lots of exhaust coming out of those things, though. Yeah, you know, I, I was <laughs> thinking about the logistics of that not too long ago, where I'm just kind of like, you know, um, I would hate to be like in a village where dragons were that hard because, you know, well. I've woken up many, many mornings and walked out to see bird poop on the car. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So multiply the bird to 130 metric tons and yeah. So I, I had been racking my brain uh, about why the Valyrians never went so far west as Westeros. Like I mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, right? The That they never went all the way into Westeros. Even if you count Dragonstone, that's not all the way into Westeros. Uh, yeah, they did. Right? It was called the Conquest. Yeah, but I'm talking about old Valyria, actu- the actual oh. freehold. Why, why that all never happened. Why they didn't expand that far. And I, I'm starting to wonder based on what Sam was saying about how all the different locations had their purposes, the vacation home city or what have you, that maybe it was all just about convenience. Maybe they weren't trying to rule the world. They just wanted to have enough convenient places to put all their fun things, and then they were chill. Yeah, I mean, there is a matter of that. (laughs) And after the Andals settled Westeros... Um, they had their kingdoms and baronies and all, you know, they had their seven kingdoms as it were. So in order for the Valerians to go further, further west, they would have had to contend with the Lannisters and the Starks and the Baratheons. And by the way, nice change of the house at the beginning of the episode. I, I had mixing to, it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so having to deal with the storm lords and the lions and the wolves and the people at the airy. Um, it might have just been, you know, too big of a hassle for too small a reward. Because the Valerians yeah. had gold and steel. So it's kind of like, you know what? We're here in Southern California. Let's invade Tijuana. Yeah. Why? <laughs> like, why, why bother? You yeah. Know? I mean, we could. It, it, uh, we'd probably win. The logistics. But what's the point? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, think of the logistics, though. Uh, we'll we'll get into it later when we discuss Egg on the Conqueror. But just the sheer manpower, dragon power, armies, ships, supplies, everything you would have to cart over the sea to pull it off mm-hmm. is a literal pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. So it it only makes sense that they would conquer that, which was almost immediately available and, as you said, more convenient. And also, maybe they didn't agree on it, too. The Freehold was known for people not really getting on the same page a lot. It was basically Real Housewives of Valyria over there. (laughs) So, like, essentially... (laughs) That's the HBO series we deserve. You wake up with your dragon and you you have to say that your dragon's okay, but really it's not okay. I think I think we might have found our hashtag for this episode. Real housewives <laughs> of Valeria. <laughs> wow. But you know, one of them was probably yelling at the other one, like, "No, you can't go to Westeros. I want to go to Westeros." Well, Pentos is so beautiful this time of year. You know, it's like who knows what it was. But and can you imagine how upset the Andals would have been too? They just escaped the Valerians just for them to come and find them at their new home. Like, oh, we just conquered here, and you guys are gonna come and conquer us again. Yeah, I could see the Valerians going, "Thanks for softening them up. Now it's all ours." Sure. I mean, why not? But yeah, might go back to our, might go back to our battle royal. We were talking with the giants and the and the uh, dragons and the children of the forest all just going at it in one area. You know, could have been a whole free for all. It could have been, but that being the case, though, there is an area of Planetos that no one ever talks about because George hasn't felt like writing anything, and that would be Southurios. You know, um, mm-hmm. there's no record of um, the Valerian travels to Southurios. Yeah, it's the same logic of why would they go to Westeros? That's all the way over there. 
That's like over there problems. I like I like my over here problems. Thank you. Well, I think that's everything for the history of Valeria. Let's uh, go back with Sam and let's talk about what comes next chronologically. Awesome. Thanks, Constance. Uh, Solar is now going to talk about the doom of Valeria. To you, Solar. Well, hello. I'm Solar Gray, the cinematic sorcerer. And today's discussion will be about doom, doom, doom. <laughs> or what happens when people don't listen to the smart person in the horror movie? So <clears throat> Valeria being surrounded by 14, count them one, four, seven times two volcanoes um, was in a perfect geographic location for longevity of empire and no historic tragedy. Um, we'll start with Rainey's the Dreamer, who had a prophetic dream of fire, blood, and ruin, which inspired the Targaryen family to manifest their destiny across the narrow sea and um, set up in a place that was pretty far away from the ring of 14 volcanoes. Please pardon me, listeners. I'm doing my best not to channel the spirit of our nearly um, of our newly departed Gilbert Godfrey, because 14 volcanoes is a great place to set up a civilization. So um, there are many theories on the on the time in history where the 14 volcanoes <laughs> erupted simultaneously <laughs> along with every other hill in the entire country of old Valeria. Just to give you guys context, ju just to give you guys context, it's kind of like if Alaska became Hawaii all at one time. <laughs> Okay, a great big landmass that's built on top of, um, I mean, look, for you listeners out there, I live in Southern California. My high school was on a fault line. So I get the entire idea of a civilization set up on somewhere that's prone to natural disasters. But what Valeria had that Los Angeles doesn't, to my knowledge, until they return my letters, um is a cabal of sorcerers that was using their Valerian magics um, to cast spells and to make sure those volcanoes did not erupt for over 4,000 years. And this led us to the myriad of conspiracy theories around the doom, 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 or as I like to say, the natural consequences for setting up your civilization around 14 volcanoes. Um, so when the volcanoes went off simultaneously, the sky rained ash and black blood from the earth. It was a party. You had Egg Shen and Jack Burton looking up at the sky. Um, it was, you know, it was like, what would happen if Slayer played at your junior high school prom, okay? Um, and two families um, in the historical records were the ones that escaped. Of course, those being House Valerian and House Targaryen. <laughs> Um, the families that were smart enough to GTFO when somebody had a prophetic dream 
of the unthinkable thing happening, like say 14 volcanoes going off at the same time. So um, when this happened, um, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dead people. We're talking tens of thousands of dead dragons, architecture, technology, magical spells. Um, we're talking a lot of what made Valeria Valeria gone in one sweep of the room or one sweep of 14 volcanoes erupting simultaneously. Um, this is a really big thing. This, this particular thing gives sort of a crossover of the myths of Atlantis and Numenaria, also the destruction of Pompeii, also a hundred other end of the world myths that go out through Sumerian and Alexandrian history. So what happened next? Well, that would lead in two different places. Number one, the um lush landmass of the peninsula the peninsula um called old valeria became the archipelagos of the smoky sea <laughs> um to this day or to the day of present game of thrones is still smoking from the water <laughs> um because when you know when 14 volcanoes go up and the sea, the lakes turn into boiling sulfur and smoke is from the sky. There are geological consequences that happen up to five and six hundred years later. One of those consequences being, um, I guess you can say the rancid and putrid air that is known throughout the Smoky Isles and, of course, the reputation of the ones who have sailed through those aisles. And I would say sailed through, but none have returned. <laughs> um, except for, of course, Euron Greyjoy, known affectionately as Captain J um, Jack Spare Me, because no one believes that he did it. <laughs> Which is fair, because everyone who's tried it has also failed. This is also, um, theoretically, the origin of the wonderful disease found in the books of grayscale and where the gray men um, stand. So we're talking a post-apocalyptic ruined place that is inhospitable to most bipedal, um, bipedal mammals. Um, that is a place of all myth and rumor. It's a great piece of story fodder. Now, in those days, before the doom, there was yet another prophecy, um, and this was this particular prophecy makes me have to amend um, something I said in a previous show. See, I've I've been yes, I've stated very publicly that the only prophecy that turned out to not be BS in the entire history of Westeros so far was the prophecy of Rainey's the Dreamer. Well, there was another prophecy that said Lannister gold would cause um, would cause the doom of Valeria. Now, the doom of Valeria, the doom as it were, um, happened not too long after the Lannisters paid enough gold to buy an army um, to purchase their Valerian steel sword um, 
Ah, I can't find it in my notes because I'm ill-prepared. Um, but the Valerian Steel Sword of House Lannister, I believe it's like Roar or something like that, um, that was essentially taken back to the Smoky Isles by Tywin Lannister's younger brother and never seen again, much like he was never seen again. Um, so, tinfoil hat time, kids. Um, grab your Reynolds wrap. Because there is a prevailing theory out there that states that the Lannister gold was used to pay off the new faceless man to assassinate the sorcerers that were keeping the volcanic, um, or sorry, keeping the 14 volcanoes dormant. <laughs> um, that being the case with the political intrigue and the real housewives of Valeria, um, when the sorcerers stop holding back natural disasters, the natural disasters come back with a fury that was being withheld before. But since then, um, the only two pure blood families of Valeria that we follow in the stories being House Valerian and House Targaryen made their way to Restoros, bringing some magic some technology, and a whole lot of war with them. So, what would the lesson be of the Doom of Valeria? Was it something that we could have learned from Plato um, when he talked about Atlantis? Possibly. Could it be how political intrigue can tear apart an entire society? It is also possible. Or could it be not to set up your kingdom around 14 volcanoes? Anyway, um, and that has been the Doom of Valeria. Back to you, Sam. <laughs> I should have made the audience keep track of how many times you said 14 volcanoes. <laughs> do you think, do you think that Danies, do you think that it wasn't that she had a prophetic dream, but it was more that she was like solar and was like, we're, we're putting a civilization around 14 <laughs> volcanoes. We need to go. Like, I didn't have a dream. We just need to leave right now. This is bad. Yeah. Well, you know, Danny's the counter would not be that cool <laughs> dramatically. And I don't know. She was the only Targaryen to look up and notice that there were double digits of explosive mountains <laughs> surrounding the entire country. So, you know, so I, I need to add in here. We were talking about, you know, know. tinfoil yep. hat. I'm going to start with with some conspiracy theories that I don't think are even in the books. Like, OK, first of all, we know that the Targaryens and the Valerians left and the Targaryens took some dragons with them, right? Are we really to believe, considering that these people travel all over the continent that they conquered, that every single dragon was wiped out when these only 14 volcanoes erupted? Every <laughs> single dragon, all the dragons in the entire continent wiped out like that. Like, what happened? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, there, there was lots of talk about um, dragon eggs were held in places like a shy. Um, there was talk about the Citadel having one or two by the time the conquest happened. But the major population, it, it was kind of the Doom of Valeria to the dragons were a lot like Manifest Destiny and the Buffalo. Mm. You know, most of them were killed. But there is enough of them to still say, look, they're not extinct yet. Fair. It's very well established uh, in the lore that the Valyrians were the only ones who knew how, right? We've mentioned this already. Knew how to control the dragons, knew how to breed yes. the dragons properly. Like, uh, at one point, 
uh, one of the Targaryen uh, women's mistress steals three eggs. I wonder what happens to those. Uh, but in just the course of like a couple centuries, they turned to stone as if they had been ancient petrified? Like fossils. Yeah, yeah, they've been petrified, but they petrify so quickly. I'm just, I, I guess that could be why, because there were no Valyrians to do whatever special stuff they had to do to keep the eggs actually functioning. Well, they had to be incubated in a volcano. <laughs> so <laughs> that kind of made it really hard for them to breed them in Westeros outside of certain locations, like Dragonstone. Fair. Yeah, and ironically, I think um, in the lore, Dragonstone would be the only active volcano that we've heard about since the other 14 kind of went off and did their thing. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. um, We could go tinfoil hat with the disappearance of the dragons, which we may in a podcast. Because, you know, those maesters are putting stuff in the water to turn the dragons. No. Um, so, you know, that that's a different thing. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very much there with you with the um, <clears throat> after the after the doom of Valeria, there were just three. Come on. Come on. Now, um, there is in the lore lots of rumors that dragons themselves still live in a shite. A place of magic, wonder, and absolute darkness, and only the Shadowbinders would be able to tell you. Like Melisande. Not that they would, but, you know, they're able to. Hmm? Um, Melisandre, um, got what mm-hmm. was her? Quaith. Quaith would know a lot more than Melisandre. And, you know, don't get me wrong, as much as I have a crush on Melisandre, and I don't do. Don't we all? Um... I think Quaith would be more knowledgeable because she has a tendency of not getting prophecies wrong. So you know, yeah, that, I, I, I just I just have to put in my two cents on that. I'm not certain that she's getting all the prophecies wrong so much as she's literally misleading people on purpose. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, this guy's the Messiah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Do the thing. <laughs> yeah, do the thing. No, the war happens up there. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. If we're if we're looking at theories for the for the doom, uh, what do you all think of the theory that the Targaryens themselves actually caused the doom? The the theory that I've seen is that they because of all the political um, imbalance that went on with the Valyrians and the Targaryens being kind of a lesser family in the Val- in the Valyrian political landscape. There's like I saw I saw a theory that says that the Targaryens actually somehow caused the doom. And it wasn't actually oh. a prophetic dream. It actually tracks. Mm. It totally tracks. Um, the Targaryens were from a smaller house than Peter Baelish, as far as um, as far as the Valerian politics goes. I mean, they were a lesser house of a lesser house of a lesser house of one of the great houses. And then they left. <laughs> They're like, screw you guys. We're going to start our own country with blackjack and hookers, you know, and that, that's pretty much. Yeah, what but see, there, what so. I don't think necessarily tracks is because they're such a small faction, right? Like, unless they were m- manipulating at the Peter Baelish level, which I don't think some, like, our early Targaryens were quite in that kind of headspace. They seemed much more straightforward, let's just kill things and get the job done kind of people. Um, that the... I, I just don't see them 
having the wherewithal in their position and with their mentality to actually bring about the end of Valyria. But that's just me. Well, I mean, I can see where you're saying that, but you're weighing their wherewithal and their bravado um, against them having already conquered Now Westeros. I'm talking about... You know, it's kind of like... Um, I'm, I'm talking about, like, yeah? uh, Aegon's dad and Aegon's grandfather and whatnot. Like, they were not described as, like, Machiavellian masterminds. They were like, oh, let's let's just get out of here and uh, and live and uh, let's let's rule with an iron fist in our own little area and be okay. <laughs> well, I, I kind of look at that as the dorkiest eleventh grader can go and wreck face at any elementary yeah. school, you know? Because I mean, these guys got the only dragons in town, and they're like, look at us, we're finally the big dudes! Ha 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 ha! You know, and if another Valerian house came by, it'd be like, oh, look at you, um, Aegon fart breath. <laughs> Shut up. What? I conquered this whole country. Yeah. And we're taking it from yeah. you. You know what I mean? Kind of like Ryan Reynolds in oh, that yeah, one no, movie. I, I you get know? your point. My That narrows it yeah. down. <laughs> but <laughs> consider this. It took generations for the Targaryens to get to conquering anything or what have you. Like, it wasn't immediate. They weren't like, aha, we have now eliminated all the other Valyrians, and now we are the powerhouse, and now we will conquer. No, they're like, uh, we're gonna sit here, chillax for a while. Uh, like, we're, <laughs> we're gonna enjoy our little vacation home that we were smart enough to get while everybody else died. Uh, and, you know, maybe someday we'll do something more. I don't know. We'll, we'll consider it. But they were not... Like Machiavellian. You mean yeah. like House Tyrell? And, and House Tyrell is very is very well known for having a bunch of idiot males and a bunch of smart females. Just saying. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's kind of one of those things. I mean, it's it's hard to see what the long game was. As far as like the generational thing, well, look at the difference between um, Tytos and Tywin mm -hmm. Lannister. You know, Tytos was a really laid back, jovial kind of dude. And then we have Tywin. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Constance? I heard that little... <laughs> well, I was just laughing at the comparison between Tyos and Tywin. That was just making me laugh. But um, I think <laughs> that it's more like the doom happened because they had been suppressing four... <laughs> for over 4,000 years, right? You could only put a cork into some into a volatile bottle, shake it up, and just leave it there without expecting it to explode. Yeah, you mentioned that they were also mining the 14 volcanoes. They were mining as well. So they were causing instability <laughs> with their constant need to dig deeper into the mountains. And they dug too deep. <laughs> and, uh... Wait, we're not supposed to constantly <laughs> dig into the earth and take whatever we want? No, I think that causes, you know, like earthquakes and fracking and... 14 there volcanoes. There was no climate change in Valeria, okay? Like it was always warm. <laughs> wow. Right? There was there was no Valerian war warming that was happening at the time. They just I mean, they were amongst a bunch of volcanoes. I will grant that they always <laughs> it's, thought it was warm. It's probably pretty warm. Yeah. It's probably pretty nice, especially knowing the climate of that region, but this just makes me think more that Danies was more like, we need to leave. This is yeah. a bad idea. I don't think she dreads <laughs> she's, anything. She's like, we she's just the only one go. talking about climate Wait, change. Are you comparing Danies the Dreamer to Bob Dole now? <laughs> or Al Gore, one of the two. <laughs> Al Gore, yeah, Al Gore. <laughs> just... 
uh, House Targaryen has an inconvenient truth. It's a bad idea to drill in a volcano. So it, it could have been, you know, it, it could have been just as simple a matter of they fucked around and they found out. Yeah, but but I will point out that, that in this discussion, we have pointed out that the dragons had to be bred in volcanoes. So, of course, they had to live in a place with 14 freaking volcanoes. I'm just saying. Just saying. They actually did have yeah. a reason. They wouldn't have the power base that they had if they didn't live in 14 volcanoes. Just saying. I get where that's saying. I'm just glad I'm just glad George R. R. Martin didn't um, go the route of Danny's the Dreamer saw the Doom of Valerian coming and they put one little Targaryen um on the back of an elder dragon with a dragon egg in their bassinet and flew it away (laughs) you know and the elder dragon crashed into the earth yeah yeah i mean would it then like you know with that elder with that last um son of valerian then part the narrow sea for others to get out or would they wear the house colors and cloaks and be the savior of everyone else who knows but I think they would have a, I, I really think they would have a stark best friend that would always tell them that they're stupid for believing in people. I don't know. Yeah. There's another spinoff for HBO to look into. <laughs> oh God, please no. HBO, call me. Okay. I can, I can do some, uh, yeah, we can I can do some punch it. up yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> this episode's just turning into us coming up with shows for HBO. You know, we've got a you whole know, list. They got to pay us. I'm just saying. I'll do half scale. Um, you know, I don't have many expenses in life. You know, as long as they pay for travel to all the places that they film these shows. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that was the Doom of Valyria, uh, and I am now going to take you through Aegon's conquest. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I couldn't of help course myself. You couldn't. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Hey, man, just wait for that dragon to drop, bro. Wait for the dragon to drop. God, a lot of them did. Uh, this is Aegon the Conquest brought to you by Chad Targaryen. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get this going. Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Rennells. And with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark, or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch Vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. Uh, so anyways, the early days of the conquest started with uh, Aenar Targaryen moved his family to Dragonstone after his daughter Daenys, as we just talked about, had the prophetic dream, so-called prophetic dream. 
Uh, and then his great-great-grandson, Arion Targaryen, and his wife, Velena Valerion, had their three children, Visenya, Aegon, and Rhaenys, born in that order. Uh, Visenya was known to be passionate, stern, serious, and unforgiving. Uh, she was also rumored to dabble in some uh, dark magics and messed with potions. Uh, she carried the Valyrian steel sword Dark Sister and was known as an incredibly skilled warrior who trained with Aegon when they were younger. Uh, she was also the dragon rider of the dragon Vagar. Uh, Aegon, he was known to be charismatic, commanding, uh, pretty solitary. His only real friend was uh, his supposed half-brother Oris Baratheon, which we'll talk about him a little bit later. Uh, and he was generous to those who followed him, and are, but harsh when defied. Uh, and then he, it was rumored that when he came to Westeros, became king, he actually um, followed the faith of the Seven more for political reasons than uh, religious reasons. Uh, I don't think the Valyrians were really all that religious. They had a bunch of religions, but most were kind of like, yeah, we're here, we're hanging. Uh, then we had Rhaenys. Uh, she was kind-hearted, playful, curious, impulsive, and mischievous. Uh, she loved music, dancing, and poetry, but what she loved mostly was uh, dragon riding, uh, riding her dragon Meraxes the most. Uh, it was said that she rode uh, Meraxes more than her siblings combined. Oh my. Uh, Aegon eventually married both of his sister. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> phrasing. Are we still doing phrasing? <laughs> I had to. I was Uh, trying to be the mature one here. (laughs) I will never be the mature one. I bet she did love riding that dragon. (laughs) Oh my. Well, I meant about riding And that was our podcast. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to avoid bad jokes when we're talking about sibling interest. Incest, right? I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying Aegon chose the wrong sister, okay? It's like, I'm going to go for the pretty one that likes riding the dragon. You You should go for the hardcore one that knows how to take a punch I mean, he went for both yeah, that's all i'm saying just saying go on sam we interrupted <laughs> well yeah i mean he went for rainies for for love visenya for duty you know he liked one more we we know he liked what was it it was i think it was like he spent 15 or for every day he spent with visenya he spent like 15 with rainies which like poor visenya <laughs> but at the same time i feel like visenya was probably like whatever dude i don't care i got potions yeah. to dabble in so <laughs> Uh, after this, uh, that was when um, it, w- it was rumored that all three of them had actually visited uh, cities in Westeros uh, multiple times before the actual conquest. And uh, around this time before the conquest, um, Aegon ordered the construction of the painted table that is found on Dragonstone. So the beginning of the conquest, we've got our seven kingdoms. We've got Torrin Stark, who is the current king of the north. We have Ronald Arryn, who is the king of the Vale and the Mountain, but it's run by the regent uh, queen Shara Arryn. Uh, we have Lorne Lannister, who is king of the Rock. Uh, Myrn the Ninth Gardener, who is the king of the Reach. Uh, and then Argalic Durandon, aka Argalic, Argalic the oh my god, Argalic the Arrogant, who is the Storm King of the Stormlands. And my personal favorite, Heron Horror, King of the Isles and Rivers, known as Heron the Black. Um, <laughs> while the Seven Kingdoms were divided uh, Westero- into Westeros, there were plenty of battles within the kingdoms as well as, as the kingdoms battling each other. So there was really no peace at all going on at this time. 
Um, Heron Whore, aka Heron the Black, was going ham on Westeros. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically conquering all he can. He was running the Riverlands. He was running the Iron Islands. He was basically the last feared Iron Iron Island Lord slash King, in my opinion. Um, he had just completed the construction of Heron Hall. Um, and pretty much all the people under him hated him. They did not like him <laughs> at all. It was not a good time for him or them. Uh, and then King Arglig Durandon, speaking of people who were having a bad time, um, was pretty concerned with everything he was dealing with. He had Heron to the north, Dorne to the south, and the Gardeners to the west, all of which were pretty much bullying poor uh, Arglig the Arrogant. Uh, he actually ended up reaching out to a- Aegon and was basically like, hey, man, like, you want to be friends? Like, I'll <laughs> give you my daughter to marry. And also, I'll give you this land that he didn't actually own. He was trying to give him land that Heron owned, which, like, poof, bold move. But, you know, I, I-, I like the confidence. <laughs> uh, Aegon refused, but offered up Oris Baratheon's hand in marriage instead. And Argilic, being Argilic, uh, cut off the hands of the messenger and set them back to Aegon saying, these are the only hands you will receive. And that was basically what kicked off uh, the entire conquest. Aegon was like, okay, it's on. So he called up his banners. Uh, He sent ravens to every king and queen in Westeros, announced himself as king. Uh, Some people refused. Some of them offered alliances, but Aegon was like, no, it's king. That's it. Like, you either say yes or you're dead. Um, what do you all think of the beginning of Aegon's conquest? I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I'm, yeah. I I was just going to say the, the, it, it so mirrors the Norman conquest of England. Uh, there, England was already a, a, a unified kingdom, but it was in a lot of chaos right before William the Conqueror. Uh, and uh, the the Norsemen had were trying to take over the throne, uh, and that's basically the Iron Islands and Heron invading and taking over lots of territory. And then other people were like, "Hey, William, I hear you've got a claim. Uh, come here and like do something about it." I'm just saying, I I, I love all the the history analogs that are in this see i was i'm just stuck thinking of visenya like (laughs) traveling around the seven kingdoms going hey heron those are some nice uh rivers you got there that's a nice castle be ashamed if something happened to it you know (laughs) um you know but Mm -hmm. i i had forgotten that the baratheons started the whole mess now don't get me wrong i'm right there with you with the, these are the only hands you gonna get. That's straight out of Titus Andronicus. And again, my favorite Shakespearean play. But um, yeah, just just that whole thing of, you know, um, the Baratheons starting the whole thing. But would you say that it was more of Heron just being himself that really started this? Like if it wasn't the Targaryens, an alliance would have been made eventually? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I just want to say, though, it's very poetic to say the Baratheons uh, lit the spark and that they later then tore it all down. Very poetic that they started it and they finished it. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. <laughs> Yeah. By taking themselves out. (laughs) (laughs) 
essentially. Yeah, the, the Dundarians had balls, man. It's like, you know, they're the ones who yeah. say, hey, yeah. can can you help us? This would be real nice if, you know, you kind of worked with us here. And Aegon was like, okay, well, you know, what if you marry this person and we'll we'll make something happen? And they're like, no, fuck you. <laughs> and then Aegon's like, okay, it's on. I said, this is the help I needed. Yeah. yeah. And then Aegon's like, it's on. Y- y'all, y'all insulted me. And also offering up land like on credit, like basically like, yeah, I've got this land that I'll eventually have if you join up with me. Like, I, I, I think I mean, it's more of a, if you conquer this land for me, you can keep it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always got out of that. It's like, yeah, there's this land over here. I can't give it to you, but see this guy, I bet you could kill him and take it. <laughs> All you got to do is be my that's friend. Almost... See, I could even see though. Yeah, that's... And then like I but then it's almost like he's saying like, "Yeah, you can have that. I'll let you have that. I totally could, but you know, it's yours. I could have it, but yeah. <laughs> it's yours." It's just it's, sure. it's just as petty like when you're on the schoolyard <laughs> and you try to start a fight between two people, so you're like, "Slap my hand." And then you punch the other guy. It's like, "No, that's from him." Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's from the Targaryens. We ain't got nothing to do with it. Yeah. I mean, ours is just the Fury, but they're all fiery and bloody and stuff like that. You know. But yeah, honestly, though, like, <clears throat> Heron, Heron the Black is a really cool figure, especially from the starting of the pirate cult. But um, how can I put it? I am enamored with Heron Hall. In the sense of, look, I'm going to make a fortress that's bigger and stronger than everyone else. And for those fans of the books, um, you're going to love this one, Uzma. Um, Those castles are no joke to start with. (laughs) I mean, seriously, you've got like Winterfell and Casterly Rock. They're the size of cities already. So you've got Heron saying, oh, you think you got a big castle? Let me show you how big mine is. And, you know. Off comes the cod piece, and he builds this thing that's too big to freaking take care of. Uh, <laughs> and of course, then you got good old Vicenia going, That's a nice big castle you got there, but uh, we're building one a little further south. Be a shame if something happened to that one. And you know, I like it, <laughs> but you need some more, um, you need some more filigree on stuff. I got these dragons that'll help you mold that stone. <laughs> <laughs> And the rest is history. But yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that's my thing. What are your thoughts on Torrin Stark, though? Because I, I, think, I think he got a raw deal in the Conquest. Oh, we're going to get to Torrin Stark. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But we have finally Aegon landing uh, on Westeros, landed at the Blackwater Rush, which would eventually be known as King's Landing. Uh, we're not sure how big his army was, but we know it was pretty small. Some say 300, some say 3,000. Um, we know his bannermen were, um, House Celtigar, House Macy, and House Valerian. Um, there he started the construction of the Aegon Fort, which would eventually become the Red Keep. Uh, all three dragon riders got busy real fast. Um, Rainey's peacefully, uh, got House Rosby to yield. Um, the Stokeworth surrendered to Visenya after she just set a roof on fire with Vagar. So Visenya. <laughs> uh, Aegon, riding Beleriand, um, along with his buddy Oris, defeated uh, Lord Darklin and, uh, of Duskendale and Lord Mooton just like in battle, which again, very much uh, an Aegon thing to do. Uh, and before um, conquering the, West, the rest of Westeros, 
uh, the first council positions were awarded. Uh, Damon Valerian was named Master of Ships and the Commander of the Royal Fleet. Uh, Tristan Macy was named a Master of Laws. Uh, Crispian Celtigar was named Master of Coin. And, and Oris Baratheon was named My Shield, My Stalwart, and My Strong Right Hand, basically being named the first Hand of the King. And then it was also at this time that the Red Three-Headed Dragon over a Blackfield Sigil was born. Uh, Aegon crowned by his sisters, Aegon, king of all Westeros, first of his name and shield of all his people. Now, before we get we get into his real the real conquering, there were a couple of setbacks, um, like the death of Daemon Valerion uh, in a battle of Goldtown. Um, Oris Baratheon suffered a couple defeats, but it was there were those were just small setbacks because there were dragons. Uh, Visenya and Vagar burned the Vale's fleet after Daemon was killed. Uh, Rhaenys took Meraxes and or Meraxes and uh, burned the entire fleet that defeated or the entire army that defeated Oris Baratheon. Uh, and then even Heron's sons were killed, going back to Harrenhal after defeating Aegon in a small battle where Balerion just basically came out of nowhere and crushed them all. Um, which leads us to Harrenhal and the burning of Harrenhal. Uh, the River Lords, like I said, hated uh, Heron the Black, and they um, so basically all the River Lords swore to House Targaryen, including Edmund Tully. Um, and Heron basically just hid away in Heron Hall, which at the time was the largest castle ever created in Westeros. Uh, five massive towers, essentially a never-ending source of water, vaults well stocked with food, and massive walls that were made of unbreakable stone. Um, they met under a peace banner and essentially Harren was like, okay, good luck. Bring your dragon to my house. It's not going to happen. Have fun. And Aegon was like, okay, dude, kill you tomorrow. <laughs> and of course, Aegon then that night flew uh, up into the air above the clouds, plummeted down into the castle and bathed everyone and everything in black flame. Basically cooked Harren and his sons in the castle and they were killed. Uh, the river lords were said that the tower burned so hot that the uh, that the towers melted and they glowed like red candles in the night, which is kind of an awesome visual. Um, Edmund Tully was then named Lord Paramount of the Trident and the Riverlands, and uh, Heron the Black was done, and the river the Riverlands were free of his reign. Uh, what do y'all think of Heron Hall burning? I'm good with it. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what's yes. left of it. Right. <laughs> You know, it just—it it oh so reminds me of Darth Vader. You know, like Heron comes out of the sky, <laughs> cooks Aegon, looks at Edmund Tully. You are now in charge of the Riverlands. Don't fail me. It's like, yeah, 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 great, yeah, I, I got this. Because <laughs> you know, I mean, Heron essentially built the world's largest pizza oven at that point. You know, yeah, <laughs> stone fired. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, what's uh, the stone fired grill? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Hashtag stone fired grill. Because I mean, I've often thought of the burning of Heron Hall, <clears throat> and um, you know, again, I'm enamored with Heron Hall because it was so big. There weren't enough people in the Riverlands to properly man it, so that was pretty awesome. And it's like, no, retreat further in, further in, deeper, deeper deeper now set the fire to 450 degrees fahrenheit and make sure to spritz in just a little bit you know you could add some hickory um some hickory pellets 
in there to get a good smoke ring around hair in the black, you know? I mean, that that's what I was saying. And broil at the end for some crisp, you know, just to really finish it off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gotta get a good crust exactly. on him. Gotta get a good crust, <laughs> you know? And that brings us to the last storm. Uh, King Arglet Duradon, a.k.a. King Arglet the Arrogant, a.k.a. King just having a really bad time, <laughs> uh, met Oris and Rainies in the, in the field. Uh, he did not want to die like Heron in his castle, basically cooked alive. Um, and they met out in the Stormlands. A storm began, which uh, the Argax forces actually used to their advantage. They charged, uh, the first two charges that they did were successful until the third charge came right up on Rainies and Meraxes. And as we've just learned from every other thing I've said, uh, dragons just kind of run over everyone. Um, Argalic, in his arrogance, was injured and continued to fight. Oris was like, you can yield. And then he and Argalic was like, fuck you, spit. And then went into single combat, was also killed. Uh, and then Argalic's daughter, Argella, go figure, she's just as arrogant. Uh, she decided to bar the castle until her own men fed her up to Oris. Um, Oris admired her courage and her father's courage and took her hand in marriage and adopted the stag as his own sigil as well as his last name Baratheon. Then that leads us to the Field of Fire, uh, the largest army in Westeros, 55,000 men strong against the Targaryens, coming from the Reach, uh, March King Marin Gardner, and from the Westerlands, King Lorne Lannister. The Targaryen forces, which were about a fifth of that, uh, Aegon, Visenya, Rhaenys, and their dragons, Balerion, Vagar, and Meraxes, uh, all went against this army, and it went as bad as good as you could hope. Uh, they went to the northern part of the Reach. The grasses were especially dry that day, so basically, like, super effective happening all over the place. Um, dragons flew in, burning more than 4,000 men dead, tens of thousands wounded. Uh, the gardener's line was completely ended that day. Uh, Lorne Lannister surrendered and swore his swords after being captured and was named Warden of the West shortly after. Um, Harlan Tyrell, who was, uh, they were kind of like servants to the gardeners, yielded High Garden to Aegon, and they were then awarded High Garden and named uh, Warden of the South. Um, and then that brings us to Solar Year, your guy, King, King Torrin Stark. Um, him and his 30,000 men crossed the neck to meet Aegon. Uh, messages were sent back and forth. A lot of Northerners, being as stubborn as they are, uh, really wanted to just go to war. Um, but King Torin, which I think we can probably all agree made the right decision, and knelt, becoming the king who knelt. Um, then we have finally Dorne. Uh, Rhaenys actually went down to meet Queen Nymeria, uh, and Queen Nymeria just straight up refused to kneel. Uh, <laughs> she gave her her words were unbowed, unbent, unbroken, not happening. Exactly. Constance, middle fingers up in the air. Peace out. Like, have fun. You can come here next time. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. Uh, and Dorne just remained unconquered for the longest time. Uh, Old Town was the last place that needed conquering. Uh, Aegon went there. The High Septon at that time had locked himself in the Starry Set for seven days and seven nights and decided that they should submit to Aegon. And at the Starry Set, the High Septon proclaimed Aegon of House Cargarian, first of his name, King of the Andals, Roiner and the First Men, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms, and Protector of the Realm, which, pretty bold, Seven Kingdoms, okay, whatever. 
<laughs> even though Dorn was technically not a part of it. And instead of Aegon, people thought that Aegon was probably going to stay at Old Town and rule from there. But instead of ruling from there, he decided to take all of the swords that he had gained throughout uh, his conquests and created the most ugly, awesome <laughs> chair in the world, the Iron Throne, and put it right at King's Landing. Suckers bad. Um, <laughs> yeah what do y'all think of the conquest i i've got a great little story to share here um we talked about the field of fire right and just the way that everything was set on fire fire rushing towards the thousands and thousands of people that that were burned that were killed i know what that looks like i Mm -hmm. set myself on fire once oops Mm. i was at a campsite that had an old-fashioned gas grill oven um that had burners underneath and i had turned on the gas and i had one of those little fire stick clickers that you could use to to light mm. a gas stove and it was having trouble igniting so i clicked it nothing happened i clicked it nothing happened i clicked it still nothing happened but but the gas was building up so by the time i finally got it to ignite a fireball rushed into my face and singed my eyebrows, didn't burn them off, thank God. But I did get a firsthand view of what it looks like when a dragon ignites fire right, in your, right into your face. And it is a scary sight. So I can sympathize. Gee, one would say primal. It, it is. It is. It is one of those things that just, I had nightmares about it for years. About just flames rushing at me. And you know, every time I'd see that in a movie or any time I'd see that in like a commercial. I'm like, yeah, that's what it looks like. That's pretty accurate, yeah. So I I can understand the fear and the terror of those men facing a dragon and getting fireball to the face. It's it's not fun. Oh well, when it comes to the field of fire, um, one, Torin Stark is my boy, but not nearly as much as Queen Nymeria. I'm just like, yep, she gave them the W, which is you know the middle finger on both continents right there. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> Um, the real, the real thing for me though was Torin got a raw deal because the North are stubborn and all that stuff. But I'm just kind of going, you know what? Um, going to the battlefield and seeing thirty thousand people dead and the smaller army standing like Russell Crowe and Gladiator, going, "Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else?" Um, Torin understood that the that heavy is the head that wears the crown. And he's like, do I go and sacrifice all these Northerners because we're stubborn? Or do I just sign the paperwork and then go home and go to the place where the dragons can get, but the rest of the armies can't get there because you can't march through the neck while you're wearing armor. It just, you know, put on a suit of armor and go to Florida. You'll know what I'm talking about. So honestly, you know, the North gave him crap for bending the knee, but just imagine what it's like finally showing up to the field of combat you're ready and all you see are smoldering corpses and the scent of roast pork and burning hair i mean that would literally be a whole bunch of nope you know and i think torin was smart for saying nope yeah you know nope 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 now you brought up um the reach with the gardeners and this um the destruction of House Gardner and the promotion of House Tyrell is pretty much the thing that made Tyrell super lo- loyalist, even to Robert's Rebellion, right? How do you mean? 
Well, I mean, <clears throat> um, Patch, you said um, you said they were like the servants. They were more like the second house, like House Bolton to House Stark or House Ironwood to House Martell type of thing. They were like the second. They were the second best. <clears throat> i.e. like house reigns to house lannister um sure. and so when the targaryens committed that particular that particular family genocide it's you are now wardens of the south do not fail okay i'm really really comparing aegon targaryen to darth vader <laughs> at this point but yeah <laughs> um and once once they once they gave him the loyalty it was like he could have chosen any other house and no one could stop him after what we just saw him do. And he picked us. Yay. We love this guy. We got all the power that we always. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh... I also wonder if the starry sept got um, word that their raven coming from Heron Hall wasn't coming. So when the high septum was like, I'm going to hide in the starry sept. Uh, bad idea. See, Heron Her the Black tried doing that like three months ago. <laughs> Didn't work. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I, I that that's what I see. That's what I see. I, I don't know. I, I always feel like the uh, the Reach until like, you know, maybe Game of Thrones time period, they pretty much always just back whoever is currently in power. As soon as that person is no longer in power, they're like, sure, you new person in power, we're on your side. They're not they're not as obvious about it as other people like Walder Frey or what have you. Uh, but they literally, every time there's a, sh a change in power, they're suddenly on the other side and be like, yep, we're loyal. <laughs> Just saying. That is true. Well, they, they were loyal to the Mad King, and then they switched to the Baratheons, and mm -hmm. then they switched back to supporting Renly, and then they switched back to supporting Tommen. But they <laughs> like, did it all in... very loyally. They they were loyal to whomever was the most <laughs> likely candidate to win and then as right. soon as they saw that person was losing then they're like well let's change gears here for a moment and go with this other guy right it takes Which them means like if Daenerys shows up yeah it takes them like with her dragons it'll be like hey it takes them no time at all to be like alrighty then that didn't work let's try plan b um but yeah like I just want to point out like so from a historical perspective and from a Westerosi perspective, castles are the height of military technology, right? They are how you maintain a country, how you win a war, how you preserve everything. And the best way to fight a, uh, fight a siege is from inside a castle. And these dragons made them so paranoid, they started running at the enemies. <laughs> leaving the castles behind like they were nothing. I just, I want to point out how significant that is. It wasn't just like, oh, we learned a lesson. No, they're saying, okay, these guys bombed a tank. So all the people in the tank jumped out and started running at the enemies, leaving the tank behind. Yeah. I'm just saying. Better, well, yeah. Better chance of survival, man. Don't get cooked I mean, alive. I it is. When, 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 an air, when, when a, a fighter or a bomber is coming down and strafing a tank, sure, your better chance of survival is running away from the tank. It's harder to, to take you out. Which I think is a very good analogy well, for see, dragons with castles, but yeah. 
Yeah, because see, the dragons are <laughs> spitting fire at the castle. Mm -hmm. See, so I'll I'll be like, there's the castle. The castle is here. The castle is over there, and the dragons are attacking the castle. So if I'm over here in the woods in my little shack, you know, um, or, or over at one of my bannerman's place helping him grow corn, mm -hmm. um, then I'm not in the castle that's currently being bombarded by organic weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, and, but I still will point out that these people weren't that smart. They didn't run away from the castles. <laughs> they came out and stood in front of the castles and said, huh, you can't kill us. We're not in the tank anymore. Yeah. <laughs> We're impervious. <laughs> Your dragons have Trying only been trained strategy. to. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. So what you're saying is the armies of Westeros learn their battle tactics by playing D&D. &D. Uh -huh. that's, that's what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's like they might take out uh, the castle, but five of us scrappy fighters might take out the dragons. Right. No, no, it's not how it works. <laughs> but if we just try hard enough, if we have enough heart, we can do anything. Yeah, thank you, my tea. Now you can go back and play with your monkey. I'll okay. be over here. <laughs> you know, down in hey, Dorne going AC, Earth. I have, a, I have an 18 AC. It's yeah. going to be fine. We're going to be okay. I love that. Dragons are coming. Heart. Uh, that's that's not quite working. <laughs> and with your powers combined, there's... Holy shit, there's a dragon. Uh-uh. See, th this actually no, brings but... up one of the things that makes me love this world the world of ice and fire so much um because in so many fantasies and i get why people love those other fantasies but in so many fantasies they start focusing on how the fantasy can get past all the realities of things and i've always loved the idea that even when you put magic out in the world people are still bastards even when even <laughs> even when even when you do all these good things, even when you have heroes who are scrappy and have the right heart to get through it all, they don't. Like, that's not how it works. <laughs> Just because you've got heart doesn't mean you win, right? Rob Stark does not win just because he has the heart to do it. You know, the fact that Rocky didn't win in the first movie should be an abject lesson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I believe that we can take the dragons. You can believe all you want. I'm going to be on a boat over here. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, <laughs> so when I, the boat catches fire, I can swim. I mean, I love me some Lord of the Rings where only one major, one, one major hero dies and only because he already did something wrong and therefore deserved an end somehow. <laughs> but I, I honestly, I, I, I can really relate to the, to the darkness of this world because, ugh, ugh. I can relate. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm with you on the on that whole um you introduce something big into the world and it turns out that um people still don't have fathers, but I'm like leave Jon Snow alone. He's not in this yet. Yeah. Um but yeah, it is very much like Dune in that faction. Mm. Um you know, just the uh the most powerful thing in these worlds and in writing like this isn't magic isn't even weapons it's politics yes you know a group of old men talking while young men fight can bring societies to their knees the only thing more powerful 
would be 14 volcanoes. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that that's that really is the only thing, you know? Yeah, that's what that's what I'm getting from the history of old Valeria. I'm, I'm just waiting for Valeria part two. Now there's 28 volcanoes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'll be the return of Tywin Lannister's younger brother, just, mm-hmm. you know, on a little bitty boat going, yep, 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 yep. Um, <laughs> you know, just, you know, on a on a boat going, nope, 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 there's 28, there's 28, <laughs> there are 28 of them. <laughs> the kaiju are rising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was Greyjoy's whole shtick right <laughs> yeah i mean he went through there what do you think he did uh, um, just saying yeah. i think we're getting off topic but still we're off topic yeah <laughs> <laughs> sam take us home <laughs> oh. yeah that was uh that was the, that was the conquest <laughs> and uh up next morgan has uh some questions for us about what we've talked about today yes and i'm going to get much more serious suddenly so that i'm not laughing into the microphone um, so yes, I've got questions for you guys. Uh, so my first question is going back to the actual purpose of our show, which is talking about House of the Dragon. Uh, how much pre-conquest lore do you think we'll actually be seeing in House of the Dragon or, or discussed in House of the Dragon? I don't think we'll actually see things, but you know, discussed how much of it will actually be relevant. Start with you, Solar. Oh, I was going to stay constant. Honestly, <laughs> slim to none. Yeah. Slim to none. Um, you know, I can see it as, well, Aegon had sisters and they ruled. Why can't I? Kind of thing. But that's about all I can do. Yeah. You know, that and the Council of 101, but that was post-conquest. So, yeah, honestly, I can only see with what we've been given... I can see the pre-conquest stuff being brought up in the sense of historical context in in response to whinging. That's about it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Constance? What about you, Constance? Yeah, I'm, I'm of the same mind. This is all, what we've been discussing today is all backstory. This is a build-up as to how the Targaryens got to be where they are. Uh, but it has absolutely zero bearing on the current story. They may mention the dreams, the prophetic dreams, especially since we saw in that trailer that Viserys is talking about having a dream. And that could be a prophecy as well when he said all the dragons roared as one. Uh, So they may throw back reference to Daenerys the dreamer and um, and kind of talk about how the the visions were part of their old Valyrian blood. So if anything, there may be a reference to her and the dream of the doom, but I don't think we're going to see any of the details that we've been discussing today, uh, especially not. The only other thing I can think of is maybe talking about the painted table and how Aegon had that crafted because we saw it in one of the shots and we know that it's in Dragonstone in this time period. So those are my two guesses that they're going to reference the prophetic dreams or they're going to, and they're going to reference Aegon creating the painted table. Uh, Morgan, uh, you want to go or Sam? Give us let's, your two cents. Let's, let's let Sam go. Throw it at Sam. Uh, I could I I could see the doom being mentioned just because of like kind of what's going on in the story without giving out any spoilers. Like I I could feel like kind of the the heaviness of the doom of the doom might kind of sit on the Targaryens and like 
kind of anything that becomes kind of intense or anything like we've seen some battle sequences where I feel like the doom could be brought up as, as like a comparison. So I, I don't think like, I think as, as Solar and Constant said, I don't think it'll be like a ton, but a, like a, a certain little moments, I think that they might mention. Um, I mean, I know Game of Thrones kind of brought up the conquest, however many millions of times, but so I wouldn't be surprised if we get a few uh, nods to the, to the past but i guess it depends on the writers and the showrunners as well so yeah what do you think morgan yeah so uh i i i think like the rest of you i think it's not going to be brought up too much i think understanding it uh will add extra flavor to what's happening uh and personally i would really love to see more um i'd like to have things saying See why, how we have things going on now? That's because of this. Or, you know, say, hey, the last time we had this many dragons in the world, 14 volcanoes exploded. <laughs> you know, maybe we should consider less dragons. Um. <laughs> There's a conspiracy theory about like that. A that. That. <laughs> I'm not a maester. I wasn't representing a maester in the opening monologue. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Me and the Maesters are legally distinct. Um, Sorry, I can't hear you from all the rattling of your chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, okay, so my next question. Do you believe that the Valyrians brought the doom upon themselves? Start with you, Sam. <sighs> like a, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, as we kind of talked about earlier, I'm full... 100% going with the fact that Danies didn't have a dream. She was just like, it's going to be bad. So I'm, I'm sticking with that. And I do think like, you know, constant mentioned that they were, you know, um, digging into volcanoes. So I, I do think that they probably brought it on themselves. Yeah. Uh, constant. Well, it, I, I'm, I'm have two minds. One is I think that the some of the conspiracy theories are true that, there was a power play that involved assassinating some of the pyromancers, which led to the 14 volcanoes exploding. Hashtag and also volcanoes. that it, the hashtag 14 volcanoes. I, I swear, <laughs> I wish I could have counted how many times you said that during this broadcast because it's a lot. <laughs> um, but might have been more than 14. <laughs> it was. It was um, definitely more. <laughs> it's definitely more than 14. Um, they're, they kind of brought it on themselves, I think, because they they dug too deep, to quote, you know, some other popular fantasy franchise. Mm -hmm. And they just were too expansionistic to really realize what's going on. They had to have more, 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 more. And they just kind of weren't paying attention to the ecological disaster that they're literally sitting on top of. <laughs> So it's I like I said, two either either the conspiracy theories are true and somebody set it off intentionally to blow up all of Valeria, or they were just so blinded by greed, as we can see in today's modern society, that they didn't realize they were literally on fire until it was too late. So a solar. Symbolism. Um, I will say, given the evidence that placed before, yes, yes, absolutely, they brought it on their damn selves. Um, because they could have just been, you know, what we're a rich and powerful country, and let's chill 
and <clears throat> do origami and fly our dragons and ride our inner tubes down the river going, wow, look at how pleasant we are. But no, no, they had to have slaves. They had to have, um, they had to have, uh, if not a hegemony, then definitely some sort of, um, caste system or a rule system and those forms of government and civilizations never last they never ever ever last in 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 history um now how they brought it uh, upon themselves that is where my jury's out could it have been the Targaryens assassinating the pyromancers to be like, well, we might be the smallest house on the block, but if we destroy the house, we'll be the biggest kids on the other block. Ha 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 ha. You know, um, or could it have been the slaves um, destroying the pyromancers? Because in the words of Fight Club, they're the ones that cook your food. They're the ones that do your hair. They know how everything works. And since they were already playing for the sweet release of death, as was pointed out in um, A Feast for uh, Feast for Crows in Arya Chapter 2, um, the, the first faceless man to give the gift of death gave it to a slave. And it was like, well, why not just kill the slave master? Oh, oh, those slave masters died. <laughs> All slave masters died when 14 volcanoes where the slaves lived and work all went up at the same time conspicuously. So, um, so yeah, they either brought it on themselves with their greed, with their system of government and their culture, or with their carelessness and not listening to Danies the geologist <clears throat> um, from, house, uh, from the House of L um, about the destruction of their civilization. So that's where I sit. And if nothing else, they brought it on themselves by setting up camp in a ring of volcanoes. How many? More than ten. <laughs> Less than fifteen. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my my two cents in. Uh, while I think all of the theories are perfectly valid, uh, I blame Bravos. <laughs> I say I I say the faceless men made sure those volcanoes erupted. I think the slaves they killed were uh, were pyromancers. I think eliminating the pyromancers removed the, the shackles on the volcanoes and destroyed Valyria. And in doing so, uh, Bravos was trying to end slavery. And that is my theory. Uh, and yes, that still means they brought it on themselves for being slave owners. Just saying. <laughs> uh, but yes, so, uh, moving on down the line. It's been a century or so since Aegon's conquest when the show begins, right? Uh, and mm -hmm. we know that the role of Targaryen women has shifted. Um, how has the shift gone from the time of Aegon to now and why? Let's start with you, Solar. That is, um, that's, that's what I'm going to have to think on. All right. <laughs> um, it shifted a lot in the direction of the Andal culture more than anything else. And why? 
Um, I suppose the roots of that could be traced toward religion, um, cultural tradition, because it's one thing to conquer and establish civilization. It's another thing for that civilization to die. You know, so, you know, Aegon, um, Visenya, and the pretty, you know, the pretty Rainies. felt one. Um, yeah, Rainies could have come in with a whole bunch of progressive ideas, but the lords of Westeros were already doing their thing for about 200 years. So just to be like, well, I guess, uh, I guess we'll take their form of government right now. No, no, I, I don't see that happening. And I seriously think that it's been a cultural fight for supremacy um, with politics and religion more than it has been one of war. So, Constance. I'm going to agree with that, that it's the Andals and the Faith of the Seven. Because the Faith of the Seven places a subservient role for women in the, in the form of the maiden, the mother, and the crone. Uh, they are nurturers, they are merciful, they are wise, but they're not leaders. They're not crafters. They're not warriors. The warrior is specifically a male deity uh, in, in, the, in the seven and the, the grouping of that. So for them to see a woman warrior, that goes against their religious creed. That's just wrong. A woman should not be a fighter. A woman should be either kind and sweet and full of innocence. She should be full of love and virtue and compassion, or she should be old and wise and kind of bossy. Those are the three aspects for a woman. Anything outside of that is unnatural. So when you've got the Targaryens coming over, bringing these more equal, equal status ideas, where especially like you saw, uh, most, most of Essos, it seems, had a much more egalitarian view of men and women. Like if you look at the Rorn, the Rornish uh, were all very men and women alike fought and held power. And so the Andals, when they came over, they brought this very male-dominated culture with them. And so when the Targaryens took the faith, took the Andals as the bulk of their, the bulk of their vassals, they lost that just due to cultural shift. You can't force that big a country to suddenly go oh by the way you're now going to accept that women are equal to men and just as good you can't shift the culture the history the religion all that stuff doesn't happen overnight and the targaryens never really pushed for it they they kind of they did not emphasize that no no she's a queen she's equal to me our our daughters are equal to her yeah they never pushed that equality so it just kind of faded away by the time that we get to Viserys's reign and the succession issues that we're going to see in House of the Dragon. Um, Sam? No. Had he picked the first man, it would have been different. Yeah, yeah. He, he That could have been a different story because they were much more equal in, in, their, in their structure than the, the Andals were. But uh, Sam, your, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I kind of would echo what you were kind of saying, Constance, how like I, like, I, I kind of feel like it was almost Aegon's, like, fault that it kind of went the way that it did by, you know, when he adopted the the Faith of the Seven as more, as probably more of a political move, but by doing so, he kind of backtracked uh, and kind of, like, kind of put this whole, like, men leading thing into, uh, 
into existence. So then when the Targaryens were, you know, going forward, like you said, it just kind of everything kind of disappeared with any type of woman leading or like even being in a position of like a fighter or something like that with like, you know, that kind of died with Visenya later on. And I, I think like with bringing up like Dorne, I feel like there's something almost symbolic in the fact that they were the only ones that like weren't conquered by the Targaryens um, because of like, you know, they were a very equally led um, culture. So like, I feel like it's funny that they were like the only ones that could never be conquered by this Targaryen dynasty that, that adopted this like male driven um, religion. So like, I feel like there's like symbolism there. And, but I, I, I do think that it's like Aegon's fault almost that like it went the way that it did. And like, I feel like it all started with I, him. I, I want to say, that what you're what what we're talking about is the fact that in Dorne, a woman said, "I'm not gonna sit in the tank, and I'm not gonna run at you screaming." <laughs> and the Targaryen said, "Okay, I guess you win." Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah, go ahead, Solar. I, I also want to point out that Dorne was founded by mm -hmm. women. You know, the Roinar that came, that was Nymeria the Nymeria the Conqueror, who essentially rode her ships over, burned them, and said, Yeah, we live here now. What you gonna do? Yeah. And um that, you know, so when it comes to the egalitarian um culture of the north, where it's too cold, so whoever can do the job will do the job, versus um uh, and of course in the deep south where what we're here because of women. We all love our grandma. Well, what's up with you? Well so it's in that middle climate yeah. that gets really so so, so what i look at it as is in dorn where the women have more say the women are like lives matter and in the rest of westeros the men are like land matters they would not give up their castles because without the castles they couldn't rule the land whereas Nymeria and the Dornish were like, yeah, take the castles. We don't care. We've got all our people. You can't do anything. Mm -hmm. You can't rule the land if you don't have us. It's just a, it's a core difference in perspective. Um, and I think it has to do a bit with empathy. But yeah, moving on to our next question. Do you think Aegon made any mistakes during the conquest? And I mean Aegon, not that one of his commanders didn't win a battle or what have you. Do you think Aegon made mistakes? Let's start with you, Constance. Hmm. Uh, I'm not as well-versed in the uh, military history of Westeros as you or Sam might be. Uh, so for what my perspective, I think he did a pretty damn good job. He knew when to accept surrender. He knew when to push a fight. Uh, he knew when to drop the nuclear tactical bomb on Harrenhal as kind of proof that like don't don't fuck with us we've got the dragons and we'll prove to you that no matter what you come up with we can overcome it uh, I think his his campaign was extremely successful from from a military standpoint but that's not my my forte so I, I'm really not qualified to discuss that uh, Sam what what are your thoughts uh, I think with like the conquest itself I don't yeah I don't think he made any mistakes like Constance says he was like he showed up and blew up when he needed to you know and then when he when it was like a better idea to side with someone and bring someone in he did that the correct way 
the the only mistake was with what I would mention, like I was mentioning before, like when he decided to um adopt the faith of the seven. I think that was like his only mistake, but that was kind of after the fact of the conquest. But in the sense of him conquering Westeros, I don't think he made any mistakes at all. Even with Dorne, I think Dorne was just a lost cause. I don't think there was anything he could have done to bring them in, honestly. Uh, Solar? Yeah, his mistake was not raising Old Town to the ground. Okay, because um, everything that went wrong from his conquest came, or from the future history of, um, of his conquest, had everything to do with everything Old Town controlled. Mm -hmm. Religion, communication. I mean, the fact that the maesters who really run everything because they're the only ones who can fucking read, um, they weren't invented by the Valerians. They weren't invent, you know, they were already there. So he conquered a civilization, but he didn't, he didn't go Machiavellian enough. Mm. You know, when you're conquering a civilization and taking everything under, it's great to do it militarily. But if you want the longevity that they were, totally aiming for you have to take out their system of communication and their system of education and their faith you know because um if he'd raised old town he wouldn't have had to do uh he wouldn't have had to talk with um with not the grand maester but the high septon which means they would have kept um they would have kept polygamy as a thing and how much war over the history of Westeros um, could have been averted if the Targaryens specifically could keep with polygamy and incest. You know, we wouldn't have had the turn of Baylor the Blessed. Um, we wouldn't have had the, re uh, the rise of the faith militant. We wouldn't have had um, the maesters manipulating all the lords and ladies because they're the ones that are writing the letters all that would have been gone had they raised um had they raised old town to the ground and implemented the education and communication system that they had in valeria so that was his biggest mistake in in my eyes so uh i have a very different opinion on what his biggest mistake was and it's probably the kind of the opposite of solar's uh because his big thing was shock and awe, right? Like, he came in, killed shit ton of people, and then everybody else bent the knee, right? And while it was extremely effective, my biggest issue, he could have accomplished all that with fewer deaths. He could have accomplished all that without wiping out a generation of the soldiers from every different from all those different kingdoms right he could have been focused instead he chose to do his entire warfare based on weapons of mass destruction he came in and said yep we're gonna do all of this we're gonna just blow everything up and not ask questions if people get if people say no blow them up if people say yes they get to live real simple strategy very effective but also, he, his country could have been better organized. It could have gotten back on its feet so much faster if he'd been much more specific with targeting. If he'd made sure that he was just taking out the leaders instead of the massive armies that the leaders were with. 
And g given the way Westerosi had their banners and were very, very clear about who their leaders were, they weren't very strategic and hiding, oh, this isn't our leader on the battlefield. No, everybody <laughs> knew who they were. And from Dragonback, it'd be really obvious where the leader was on the battlefield. Could have easily just come down, scorched the area around uh, the king, and moved on and left the armies to survive. I, I just think his greatest flaw was overkill. That he just slaughtered people that didn't need to die. Totally on opposite <laughs> ends of that coin. I say he didn't kill him. <laughs> like, I'm with you on taking out the leader, but there's also the extended problem of ambition and the quest for revenge. Like, there is a reason that Machiavelli states that when you kill a leader, you got to take out their entire bloodline. Yeah, but their like, bloodline is their not... children will grow up to avenge. Yeah, but their bloodline is not every, every soldier in their army. You can... I mean, he even wasn't trying to wipe out entire bloodlines for the most part. He only wiped out a couple. Yeah. Hey, um, I'm still with the, you know, take out everybody to make sure nobody gets brave. <laughs> that that's where i'm at fair enough i mean it was the safest no. option for him all right i've got one more question for all of you from all the events and the time periods that we've discussed today what is the biggest takeaway for each of you start with sam uh the danies the dreamer believed in climate change <laughs> <laughs> an inconvenient dream huh? yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'm sticking with it. Yeah, an inconvenient <laughs> inconvenient dream brought to you by Danny's. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. I'm not even I, kidding I, right now. That's my full theory now. You. Put it on Reddit. <laughs> uh Constance. Uh I'm I'm moved by Solar's take. Uh I, I say that Aegon should have taken out the Maesters because they controlled the everything, pretty much everything with their stranglehold on politics, on tactics, on money, on everything, uh, and the faith as well, because as, as we've been discussing, because Aegon did not stick to the Valerian ways of society, but instead adopted the Andal ways of society, it led to a much worse position for women in Westeros. So that's my takeaway is he shouldn't have he shouldn't have bent the knee to the starry sept, which is essentially what he did. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's my view. Solar. Ah, it's so much to take away from. Like the biggest take, if you're going to conquer, go with genocide. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm so not not joking. Um, let's see. Valeria was Valeria was destroyed by my bear pig, which is kind of neat. Um. <laughs> But really, the biggest takeaway that one would that one would say is if you're not going to conquer with genocide, then you have to conquer with absolute rule. OK, I mean, I get the need for you're the warden of this area because I don't want to manage it myself. You're the warden of this area because I don't want to manage it myself. But he started the whole thing with weapons of mass destruction and an example of I solve all problems with violence all the time. And then he and his descendants let that lapse, you know, live up to your house words, fire and blood, not fire, blood and talking. You know, I mean, that that that's where I sit. Um, he should have organized um, 
should have organized um, a very stable system of government <clears throat> um, just to avoid historical stuff. Like, um, So I'm guessing the biggest take I can take away from all of this would be um, any civilization that conquers another has, has to um, understand that once they do, they have to plant seeds of trees um, that they'll never see the shade of, you know? Um, I like Morgan's point of shock and awe. He was really good at taking it, and he was really good at keeping it while he was alive. But um, a conquest is different from a dynasty. Yeah. And, yeah, that, that's a big thing. So if you're going to conquer, you have to really know which one you're establishing. Do you want it, or do you want your family to keep it? And that's, that's a really big thing. By the way, if there are any despots out there, you can find me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Wow. <laughs> All right. What? I need a new More video card. <laughs> so my biggest takeaway is that when a tyrant is on the loose, the best way to win is not to play his game. It's how the Dornish survived um don't play the game the way they want you to and they won't know what to do so jump out of the tank and charge them <laughs> yeah that was part of the way they wanted you to but good try good try solid effort <laughs> uh and that's it for the fire and blood segment back to you sam awesome uh, and before we go, Constance has some trivia for us. To you, Constance. All right. So we, we as, as usual, we came up with several hashtags during the course of this episode. Uh, give, us, give us one of those hashtags. I counted three uh, throughout the course of today's podcast. So just give us one of those, and that would be the trivia for this week. Uh, but other than trivia, we don't have any quizzes for you. Uzma's not with us. Uh, we don't have any polls for us with us. Uzma's not here this weekend. But we do have, ready? Who's, Who's that? Dragimon. <laughs> One of these days we'll get that right. I won't. <laughs> um, 52 years before the mighty conquest of Aegon, this magnificent beast was born with bronze scales, green eyes, and a blue-green sheen to his scales. He was matched only in size by the dread Balerion, the dragon of the conqueror, and his roar could shake the very foundation of the mightiest of keeps. His rider was the first queen, Visenya, who flew him at the Field of Fire, where all three dragons laid waste, and she won the kingdom of the Airy for her brother by taking the young king of the Vale for a ride. After her death, he was riderless for many years, until Balon the Brave claimed him. And after Balon perished, a young Lena Valarian claimed him at the tender age of twelve. Such a small girl upon such a mighty beast. But we shall see both her and her dragon in the series ahead. Today we bring to you the dragon, Vegar. And that's Who's That Dragimon? Nice. And that is our episode. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at AWPOIAF and Twitter at Ice and Fire Party and email us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. And a huge thank you to our producer, Jordan Reynolds, for editing and putting the episode together. You're a legend. Uh, this has been a production of the Watch Party Network. Be sure to check out our friends at Watch Party Lord of the Rings and Watch Party Wheel of Time, releasing episodes every Tuesday. Thank you so, so much for joining us. We are your hosts, Solar. Valar Morgulis. Constance. Have a great night, folks. Morgan. Goodbye. 
Uzma, who's not with us, and myself, Sam. Allah Margulis.